Hallelujah. Lord, we're here to lift your name today. Lord, to be able to express our love and appreciation to you for what you've done for us. That you are the mighty God. And more than that, than being just a mighty God, you are our God. Lord, to know you is life. Not to know your word, not to know your doctrines, but to know you is life. And then, Lord, to know you gives us the privilege to know your word and your truth and to walk in your precepts and to them. But it first begins by knowing you, Lord, not just the letter of the law, but knowing the spirit of life that is from Christ. Lord, we love you today. We're here to give ourselves to you. We're here to be anointed by your spirit. We're here to catch the flow of that anointing and walk right into it. Lord, I pray that you'll give a hearing ear to the ears of the people and a doing heart, Lord, that they will become doers of the word, not hearers only. I ask, Lord, that you'll inspire us today. Set us free to worship you. Ever need supply, we pray. We're your children now. And God, across the country, across the world, Lord, right here in this assembly, there are many needs. There are those that are sick and needy. We're here, Lord, by the authority of the word of God to drive out every evil spirit and take our inheritances, what belongs as sons of God, We're here to act as ambassadors before the throne. To step into our position that we have been called for. And I pray, Lord, that you'll anoint us for that purpose. As we believe we have been anointed. Because we've received your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Amen. Isn't it good to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Amen. We welcome you all today in the wonderful name of the Lord and ask the Lord's blessings upon you. If you'll turn with me to Revelation chapter 3, we're going to read today from Revelation 3.14 and then we'll turn to Matthew chapter 9 as we read. Amen. We'd like to welcome the Curlette family today. Glad to have you in service with us. Also nice to have the Couch family back again. God bless you. Thank you. You were missed. Amen. He's one of you. The Lord knows who you are, what your need is, and he's here to minister to you and to your need. Amen. If I miss somebody here in the sanctuary, I I apologize for that. But anyway, uh, the Lord will never overlook you, even though it's sometimes humanly. I don't see you. Jesus does. Amen. And uh, we're just looking to the Lord for his goodness, his grace today to minister to hearts and lives knowing that he will do that. Revelation 3, 14, And unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things saith the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou were cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. So he is, he actually 
if we would continue reading, we would find that Christ is standing on the outside of the church of Laodicea, not on the inside. And he has been rejected and refused. This is the condition that this last age is in. It's an age of soft living and great wealth and lukewarmness and, um, and an apathy toward God where they do not um, appreciate the work that Jesus did for us. They give lip service to it and they make an acknowledgement to it but they in no way want to have him to be the Lord of their lives. Amen. To be the true ruler of their lives. And because of this, because they are lukewarm about his word, he said, I'll spew out of my mouth. Which simply in today's terms would mean you will not speak for me any longer. So the Laodicean age, uh, the Laodicean church, those that are represented by this lukewarm, lax, um, neither cold nor hot attitude, God rejects them as his voice. But God will have a voice in this last day. And then we will turn to Matthew chapter 9, and we're going to read from verse 35. And uh, we're going to read down to the end of the chapter in the first verse of chapter 10. So read this with me. And Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Then saith he unto his disciples, the harvest truly is plenteous. But the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. Verse 1. And when he had called unto him his twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Amen. God bless you. Can be seated. I'm going to be speaking today on the calling of a ministry. Today, um, I want you just to bear with me for some time today and give me the, you know, your most um, and best attention today and just um, get ready to allow the Lord to speak. We're going to be following uh, the unction of the Holy Spirit as we minister today. I do want to tell you that um, next Sunday, God willing, Brother John Andes is going to be with us and ministering to services there. And so we will have the 11 o'clock service and then also the Sunday afternoon service. We're going to set that tentatively at four. That may get changed just a little bit. But Brother John Andes will be here ministering next Sunday, God willing. Um, Brother Timothy and I are leaving for Israel in the morning. And uh, our wives, of course, are going with us. We'll be meeting Brother Donnie Reagan, Sister Carol there, and other ministers as well, connecting in um, Newark, New Jersey for the flight over. We'll be gone for about 10 days. Be returning on um, Friday, May the 4th. Right now, there are some very significant things that are happening in Israel. 
One, um, you know, as, as you probably well know, um, different sites have been, um, you know, alerting us to this, that, um, that right now it's a hundred year anniversary of where the British took Jerusalem from the hands of the Turk in the Ottoman Empire. And uh, it was uh, at the start of a war to end all wars were that the Ottoman Turks had sided with the central powers like uh, Germany and, um, and Austria against the allied countries of uh, Britain, France, Russia, and eventually USA. And for the past 400 years before that, Jerusalem had been in control of the, of, of the Turks. And it was in 1917, that's um, now past 100 years ago, that the British General Edmund Allenby led his troops to surround the city of Jerusalem. Now, I, I just, I, the reason I mention this is because it is prophecy that is unfolding. Where that Israel, the, the way to make Israel to become a nation and also to establish a homeland for the Jews. And um, Allenby had prayed that he might take the city without destroying the holy places. And he wired London for instructions and received a, a scripture verse in reply. And it was from Isaiah 31 and 5. As birds fly and so will the Lord of hosts defend Jerusalem. Defending also he will deliver it. And passing over he will preserve it. And so um, as, he, as he looked at that, um, it, it, it gave him um, the, the uh, uh, unction as he read that scripture. And he had it read before uh, his troops and everything else. And it gave him an unction to, uh, to get every available aircraft for a flyover. So they dug up every biplane, every modern plane at that time. This is 1917. And, and um, you know, even, even captured planes and everything. They got everyone they could for a flyover over Jerusalem. And um, they... Um, skirted low or just over the south of the temple site and, and uh, the sky was covered from wingtip to wingtip and from nose to tail with airplanes, British biplanes and captured German aircraft and everything that would fly. And they flew low over Jerusalem and the eastern gates. One of the pilots dropped a note demanding surrender signed by General Allenby. And so the Turks were frightened by this multitude of planes. And according to report, um, the uh, name of Allenby further frightened them. For the word Allah in Arabic means God and Beh is son in Arabic. So, you know, it was signed by the son of Allah or the son of God. And so uh, in response, they hosted up a white flag and surrendered the city without firing a shot. And so Jerusalem was liberated from the Turks in December of 1917. So this is just now a 100th year anniversary of that event. As you know, our, as of late, our president has announced that the U.S. Embassy will move to Jerusalem, officially recognizing Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. And uh, this is also another a momentous um, thing that is happening. And uh, I, I just want you to, 
know as the Jews are anticipating, you know, this recognition even before that is happening. I want to, I'm just going to show you a little clip of them as they gathered at the wailing wall and they began to pray as they, and began to rejoice and pray for, um, because um, America was recognizing Jerusalem as their capital. And this was a huge thing for them. Amen. So if you'll just play that little clip for me right quick. Hallelujah. Do you think they're excited to see prophecy coming to pass for them? Amen. And for even for the nations of the world to start recognizing their right to Jerusalem as their capital. Amen. I tell you, it, uh, there ought to be a counterpart of a royal seed of Abraham. Amen. A real true spiritual Israel. That ought to have the same passion and desire. Something ringing out of their own hearts today. And prayers that are going up. Amen. Saying God fulfill your word. That you have spoke of. Of a people. An elect seed in this day and hour. That would come into their full inheritance. That's all these Jews are wanting. They're wanting their full inheritance. Yeah, they've got a part in the land. Yes, they have homes there. Yes, they have gathered there. But they want their full inheritance. And that ought to be our desire today. We've got a part in the land. We've got the word of God. We have, we have been returned back to our homeland. But we want our full and complete inheritance. And it ought to be the same kind of passion and the same drive in the heart of the, of the royal seed of Abraham to say, God, fulfill that word that you've given to your people. We're living in a day of some of the most wonderful events of all time. And I'll tell you, you are privileged people to be a part of it. To sit right here on the cusp of the fulfillment of the word of God. 
Israel is also celebrating 70 years as a nation. 1948 to 2018. And they, they are getting ready for a great celebration. We're going in just a few days before the celebration will begin in the, the month of May. And um, so, you know, we're, uh, again, we're, we're, we're just coming in right on the front of it where that celebration is getting ready to, to, to mark this time. And I'll tell you again, they are looking to fulfillment. And I think, too, we are people under expectation today. And we're looking to fulfillment. I'd like to show you just another little clip here of them speaking about their 70 years. Um, that that um, as they celebrate 70 years of being a nation back from 1948 to 19 or to 2018, and um, so there's some things in here I want you to, to catch, and want you to listen very intently, because I believe there's some spiritual implications that come from even what is being said of a natural situation. This year we celebrate 70 years the reestablishment of our beloved country Israel. 70 years is monumental, for a man's days are 70 years on earth. For the first time in 2,000 years, a Jew could be born in the land of Israel, live a full life, die in the land of Israel, free, never knowing the exile. This year we celebrate 1948. 1,948 years ago, the Roman Empire destroyed our lives. They burned and demolished our temple and exiled the Jews from Jerusalem, all while gloating their vicious imperial conquest and victory. The Jews rebelled and fought valiantly for their freedom. The rebellion was crushed, and the Jewish people found themselves homeless, helpless, and lost for centuries upon centuries. The long and bitter Jewish exile reached the darkest time in human history. As we celebrate 70 years, we must remember where we were only 74 years ago. And I saw a great open space with dry bones. Can these bones live? Only you know. After the UN voted in favor of the partition plan on May 14, 1948, the 5th of ER, the British mandate was due to expire. The year was fraught with countless dangers, escalating Arab violence across the land of Israel, combined with threats of annihilation from every bordering country. American President Harry Truman, in a power play against Russia, began to pressure the United Nations to reject the partition plan and snuff out Israel's hope for independence. The generals of the Haganah and Palmach stood together opposing Ben-Gurion's plan to declare a state. On May 13th, the eve of the Declaration of Independence, General George Marshall, then Secretary of State of the United States, sent Ben-Gurion a brutal ultimatum, demanding the postponement of the Declaration of Independence. Marshall, together with the Secretary of Defense, James Forrestal, imposed a military embargo. 
They threatened that Ben-Gurion's declaration of independence would trigger a regional war, which would doom the Jewish people to a second Holocaust in less than 10 years. And the United States would not provide any assistance to the Jews. Intel arrived that Britain had supplied arms to Egypt, Jordan, and Iraq, preparing them for the attack. The Palmach force of the Haganah numbered only 300. They had almost no equipment and no uniforms. Only half the men in each unit had guns. All of the freedom fighters of Israel, the Haganah, Etzel, and Lehi together, numbered only a few thousand. On the eve of the declaration, Israel's army was ill-equipped, unorganized, with no tanks, no real air force, and no battle plan, against five professional armies, trained and funded by the British. How could the Jews defend themselves? Standing alone against Israel's top military and political ranks, betrayed, isolated, and threatened by the international community, including the United States, with Arab armies invading from every front, it was now, or maybe never. Under extraordinary pressure, a self-proclaimed secular Zionist, David Ben-Gurion, was overcome, possessed with a Ruach Gvura, a courageous spirit of biblical proportions. And just like that, 2,000 years of exile came to an end. 1,948 years ago, Jerusalem was destroyed. We are celebrating the most legendary comeback story in human history. Can these bones live? Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is gone. Thus says the Lord Hashem, I'm going to open your graves and lift you out of your graves, my people, and bring you to the land of Israel. From dry bones and ashes, total despair and desperation, Israel was resurrected from the dead and new life was breathed into the Jewish people. Seventy years ago, there were 600,000 Jews in Israel. Today, there are over 6.5 million from over 100 countries. In 70 years, Israel went from having one asphalt road to building Ben-Gurion International Airport, some of the best hospitals in the world, and built more roads and infrastructure per capita and faster than any other place on the planet. Israel has transformed a barren, desolate, non-productive land into one of the most powerful economies in the world. There are more Torah institutions and more Jewish learning in the land of Israel than any other time in Jewish history. From a group of underground and underarmed freedom fighters, the IDF has emerged as one of the most respected militaries in the world. The number 70 is represented in Hebrew by the letter Ayn, which also means I. For 1,948 years, the Jewish people have been praying, May our eyes see your return to Zion. We're not praying that one day we hope to see your return to Zion. Let our eyes see that it's already happening right now.
Do you see the miracle? Hallelujah. Seventy years, baby now, seventy years ago, to be born in the land of Israel. Never knowing the exile, Jews that were helpless and hopeless and lost. But there was a scripture that asked, Son of man, can these bones live? But I want you to know that was not just applying to Israel as a natural state, but is also replying to a bride in this last day. Amen. That God has called out the dry bones. Amen. From, from every concentration camp of denomination. Amen. To gather that bride back to the word again. Here, here as you can see it, the Israel, that the USA had had uh, imposed a military embargo. Britain had supplied Egypt, four other countries with arms and tanks. But there was a man by the name of David Ben-Gurion who possessed with a courageous spirit of biblical portions. And just like that, just like that, Israel was liberated. From dry bones and ashes, they they were resurrected from the dead. And they were transformed, as you can see, from a barren land to one of the most productive nations in the world. And, and the number 70 is represented, as you heard him say in Hebrew, is the letter I'm, which also means I. And then, and then they took the scripture, may our eyes see your return to Zion. And then they said, we're not praying that one day we hope to see you return to Zion, but let us, our eyes see It is already happening now. I'd like to apply that to his coming in this day and hour. Amen. As we can see that that, um, our eyes should be anointed. That's one thing that Laodicea, their eyes were to be anointed that they could see. May our eyes see his return to Zion. Zion represents the bride. Amen. And there has been a return of the presence of God and the Spirit of God and the outpouring on the day of Pentecost. Amen. The same Holy Ghost that was there in the book of Acts, anointing the people in this last day. Amen. And, and our eyes ought to see that, that His return to Zion is something that is already happening now. And that's what I've been trying to preach to you about his coming. It is not something that is just a future event. Although that there is a future part to it of the meeting in the air. And there's a future part where the Messiah will return back to Israel. But there is also right now something that is going on. Something that is stirring right now in the hearts of God's people. As we return the people back to the word of God again. What a promise. Now, interesting enough, that that word, Ein, 70, can also mean fountain. I'd like to share with you a scripture in Zechariah 13, 1. In that day there shall be a fountain open to the house of David and to the house and the inhabitants of, of Jerusalem for sin and uncleanliness. And I just want to say, God has opened you a fountain. A fountain of living waters. 
Amen. It is for sin and uncleanliness to wash, to wash away the era of the past ages and the sins of the past generations and the past ages and the eras and the false doctrines and the untruths and the things that we have held to that have been wrong. And God has opened up a fountain in the house of David. Amen. For sin and uncleanliness. And what happened? And he said, it shall come to pass in that day, saith the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols out of the land, and they shall no more be remembered. And I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirit to pass out of the land. And we are also living in that generation in that time. Amen. The names of the idols and false trinities and false baptism and every other kind of denominational ideas has been cut off from us. And they're remembered no more. Hallelujah. And cause the false prophets and unclean spirits to pass out of the land. So the word can be preached in purity and reality. And it shall come to pass. That when any shall yet prophesy any of these falsehoods, then his father and mother that beget him shall say unto him, Thou shalt not live, for thou speakest lies in the name of the Lord. And his father and mother that beget him shall thrust him through when he prophesies. And it shall come to pass in that day that the prophet shall be ashamed every one of his vision when he had prophesied. Neither shall they wear a rough garment to deceive but he shall say, I am no prophet, I'm a husbandman. For a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. And one shall say unto him, What are the wounds in thy hands? Then he shall answer, Those with which I was wounded in the house of my friends. And there's going to be a turning back of Israel back to their Messiah. Do you know there's... Another important date in the history of Israel it was May the 8th, 1946, that President Truman wrote to Prime Minister Attlee citing the report of the Anglo-American Committee of Inquiry and expressing the hope that the British would begin lifting the barriers to the Jewish immigration to Palestine. It was also on that same day, it was at midnight on May the 7th, so actually maybe um, actually be May the 8th, the angel of God came to Brother Branham. Either way, whether it was May 7th or 8th, it happened at midnight, and either it was an important day in Jewish history, and Brother Branham refers to uh, an important time in the Jewish history that ran parallel with the very time that the angel of God appeared to him and gave him his commission. I, you know, just some, some things to think about. You know, in the same time that God sent forth an angel uh, to, to, with a message uh, to a messenger to call out a bride, same time, the same time period, God was calling Israel out of the nations. At the same time, uh, there was a for, formation of the United Nations. At the same time, there was uh, the formation of, of um, the uh, World Council of Churches. All kinds of things that were going on at the same time. Because the Bible said, when the fig tree puts forth its buds. And then it says, and all the other trees. 
So you see, Israel was coming forth, and that was a major sign to us. They were the big tree. But there were other trees that were putting forth their branches. Because there's a word release that said, I will restore, saith the Lord. All the years of the palmer worm, the canker worm, the caterpillar, all of these. And Israel is being restored, and there's a bride tree being restored. It's a great hour to be living in. And on the same day that this happened with Mr. Truman, by God sending a prophet barriers to immigration back to our promised land, the word was being lifted. Amen. And made way for a homeland for the bride. I'm glad to be in that homeland today. What homeland we're talking about? I'm not talking about this building. I'm talking about the Word of God. He is our homeland. And I'm glad to have been liberated and set free from the creeds of man where we can go back to our homeland and possess every promise that lays in this Word. This is a great hour. And I just want to say William Branham possessed with a courageous spirit of biblical proportions. And just like that, the bride was liberated. From dry bones and ashes, she's been resurrected from the dead. Brother Branham would tell us in the message, Easter seal, he said, and they're trying to keep Christ in a tomb. But oh, what an Easter morning done. An Easter morning ruined all their theology. And when an Easter morning came for people at church here 1,900 years later, it ruined their theology. He is not dead. He's alive forevermore. And they can't keep him in a no tomb. You can put him in a Methodist tomb or a Baptist tomb or a Presbyterian tomb or whatever you want to, but he raised out of that tomb and he's alive today. He said, I had a Baptist tomb. You might have had a Methodist tomb. But one day, Jesus rose from there, from a historical God to a living, present God, alive forevermore. Hallelujah. He was raised up from out of history to be a present living God. And I'll just tell you, he'll never be shut up in the tombs of religion again. Hallelujah. Amen. This bride, let me just say it. This bride will never. That's Christ, isn't it? That's his feminine part, isn't it? This bride will never be shut up in the tombs of religion again. They'll never be kept down by denominational theory. Amen. They're free to inherit the whole word of God. Every promise. Amen. Now. As Brother Branham would say in the message, it is the rising of the sun. As Christ was the first one to raise. And from all the prophets and so forth, although typed in many places, he was the first fruits of those that slept. In the bride coming of Christ, coming out of the church, there would have to be a sheep waved again in the last day. And he's referring to the Old Testament of the waving of the sheaf. And there has to be a sheep waved in the last days, the waving of the sheep. What was the sheep? It was the first one, the first bundle of grain that would come to maturity. The first one that proved it was wheat, that proved it was a sheep. Hallelujah. I'm sure you can see what I'm talking about. It was waved over the people. And for the first time, there will come forth for the bride age. 
for a resurrection out of dark denominationalism will be a message that the full maturity of the word has turned back again in full power. And it's being waved over the people by the same signs and wonders that he did back there. Amen. And God waved it around the world. Signs and wonders and miracles. And what was he saying? The rest of the crop is going to be just like this. Amen. This is only the first portion. But the rest of the crop is going to match the sheaf wave. Amen. And Christ was the original sheaf wave. And there's a bride that's going to match the original sheaf wave. She's the first one. After all of these ages that has proved she's really grain. I'm speaking to grain this morning. Not shock, not tossle, not other stages, not the growth part, but the harvest time. Because I live, you live also. Speaking to his wife. This is Jesus' words. Because I live, you shall live also. And Brother Bradham said, he's speaking that to his wife. What a resurrection that was. We can look back 2,000 years ago and say that was a great resurrection. But then he says, what a resurrection this is. Do you realize for the first time there has come forth for, for the end time, a resurrection out of the tombs where God's going to have a bride with Bible proportions. Amen. She will have the fullness of that word and manifest that word. Hallelujah. Now, so he said, what a resurrection this is to be quickened from the dead, to be made alive in Christ Jesus By God's quickening power. He was waved to them. The word which he was. Was waved back to them on the day of Pentecost. Now get the the significance now. That they went and got the first grains that came to maturity. The first heads of grain. and, And made a sheaf and would wave them over the people. And they were testifying, giving thanksgiving. Amen. As the first fruits of the crop. That there was more coming just like this. Hallelujah. And when we saw in our generation the very ministry of Christ repeat itself. What does it mean? There's some to follow this. There's to be a bride just like that chief. Hallelujah. God's waving it again in the last day. Brother Branham then tells the story. In recognizing your day in this message. And I'm just using these things to preface some of the things I want to get in today. But he says, I remember the story of a little cockney in England. He's just an ordinary man. They said the king was going to his palace and he had a message to get, an urgent message because of the enemy. And, and as he's passing by, he saw this little fellow standing there. And he said, here, take this message. Take this message. Hurry to a certain place and command this to be done. And then he said, take my scepter in your hand. That'll vindicate you that they'll know that you are from me. And he stuck it under his robe and away he went. And the guards were everywhere stopping him and everybody yelling, Get away, and everybody else, and he was yelling, get away, I have a message for the king. 
or of the king. I am the king's messenger, a vindicated word. And he said, I thought, Satan, get out of my way. I have the king's message. What about us this morning? Amen. God has handed you a message, a vindicated message. I don't care what kind of devil gets in our way. I don't care what the obstruction is. I don't care what the armies of the world say. Every army of hell that can come against the giveaway. We've got the message of the king. And he said one day, one time they killed the prince of peace. They put him in the grave and sealed up the tomb. And death held him for three days and nights. But on Easter morning... He had the scepter in his hand and hollered, get away death, get away grave, open up. I am the king's message. I must come forth to prove this resurrection. I am the resurrection and the life. Hallelujah. I feel good now. It's the king's message. Let's recognize it, friends. For we are called to gather together for the sounding of the trumpet. Amen. That's what the shout portion of this coming is, gathering us together. Amen. What for the sounding of the trumpet? And the trumpet of the Lord shall sound, and then time shall be no more. He's gathered Israel three days. In the third day, he said he would do it. 2,700 years has passed. In that third day, he said he'd gather them again together, and he's done it. He said he'd make known the way of life. There you are just waiting now. For the bride to get out of the way so they can come. Those two prophets, Hebrew prophets that are recognized. Amen. Waiting what? For the bride to get out of the way. So what happens for the bride has to happen before it happens for Israel. And you can see happenings in Israel. And you can see the anticipation there. And you can see the desire of their hearts and they're calling out to God. Amen. How much more that ought to make our hearts be moved this morning. Amen. And say, God, fulfill that word that you have spoken of of an end time people. Amen. Waiting for me and you to get out of the way. Then he tells of how that he went to Cairo. He was going there, Louis Petrus. And said, Brother Branham, if they ever see that discernment, which you know, time after time, what? 8,000 something visions just on tapes and never one of them failed. Never one of them in error. Name, addresses, diseases, situations, prophesying before it even, you know, the healing even taking place. I read you just the other day. I read you the other day where, where Jack Coe said I was in the meeting a skeptic. And a boy come up there had no eyeballs. And he said, William Branham stood there and he said, you'll have eyeballs form in your head in three days. He said, I was a skeptic. I, anybody could say that, you know. Man, seen one time on the platform and gone. You don't know what happened to him. And said, he passed by me on the way out and, and put his hand on my knee and said, said uh, you're, you're a gospel preacher too. And he says, you're not sick. You're just run down from your meetings. But he said, don't be so skeptical about this. You're called to pray for the sick too. And he said, I come back and I found that man in three days and there was eyeballs in his head. 
And by that evening, around 7 o'clock that evening, he was running through the building shouting because he could see. Amen. That's Jacko's testimony. He said, William Branham was sent for dispensational purposes. So he said, Brother Branham was, was told, you know, hey, you know, that, those, those, yeah, that gift, that vision, that, those things, you know, take that to the Israel. And they see a prophet, you know, they believe a prophet. So they'll receive that. And he, he, he printed up a million, over a million New Testaments and sent it out there. And, and, um, and then and, and preface them before preparation for the meeting to come. Brother Branham got as far as Cairo. Now you talk about a man. A man that was led by the Spirit of God. Not by organization or organized meetings or organizational team members. This is what made it so difficult for him. Because they would plan something like that and then he'd get a word from God. He got as far as Cairo. And he's in the hangar in Cairo. And about to get on the plane for Jerusalem. And the Spirit of God speaks to him and says, don't go. And he says, what? Don't go? He said, don't go. Turn to India. And he says, don't go? Now listen, funds have been picked up. I mean, how many have ever seen the, the film 20th Century Prophet? Well, that was, that was whole made, that was made there in that whole thing to try to, to get uh, gender support for this Israeli campaign. And they were collecting funds and all of these plans and meetings and everything. Money had been spent. And he gets there and God says, you can't go. And he pulls him aside and he says, the Holy Spirit says, this is not your place. This is not your time. So you get ahead of yourself. And I thought, oh my, I come way over here. What am I going to do? And he said, stop right here. Don't go that way. Turn it on into India. Don't go that. Go over to India. But don't you go here. And I thought, Lord, what does that mean? And he made me known. No Gentile. He said, these prophets are the one. It has to be according to the scripture. Moses and Elijah has to come. And besides that, the the bride hasn't been taken out of the way yet. You see, he was a Gentile and he was our prophet. Amen. And he wasn't to be taken there. Come on. Amen. He he had a message for the elect lady. Amen. For the bride. It wasn't to be taken over here to Israel. God has something for them, the two witnesses of Revelation 11. So he said, them prophets will return and do the sign of a prophet. You know, when a a Hebrew is returning or moving back to their promised land, they're making an aliyah. Yeah, that's right. Aliyah, A-L-I-Y-A-H, just like my granddaughter's name. It translates as elevation or going up. And it is used all for, for two purposes. One is for the moving and relocating to Israel. A Jew going back to his homeland, they're making their aliyah. And the other, it is used for being called up to read the Torah. 
And, and so as they're going up, the term going up into Israel is used in Genesis by when Jacob's bones was being brought from Egypt to what would be the land of Israel. And Joseph returned and he and his brothers and all who had gone up with him to bury his father after he buried them. And so, you know, so it, it means it's, that's where the first time the word is used, Aaliyah, when it was the carrying of Jacob's bones back to the promised land. He wanted to be buried there. Now, the Talmudic sages state that, when, that the land of Israel is higher than all other lands. But this is not meant in a topographical sense. For clearly this is not the case. Rather it means that the Holy Land is the most suitable place to relate and connect to the Almighty. And the primary location to lovingly engage in the observance of God's commandments. In other words, to go there is to be elevated, to go up to a higher level. Does that mean anything to you? Amen. When you left the denominations, come on. You come back to the word. You made your aliyah. And you were elevated. Come on. Amen. Why? It, the word of God, the promised land of the word, is the most suitable place to relate and connect to the Almighty. And the primary location to lovingly engage in the observance of God's commandments. It is to be elevated. So when making an aliyah or moving to Israel for the right reasons is moving up. It's, it's like a rapturing up, an ascension. Amen. It's the land in which the, the holy patriarchs and matriarchs lived. It's the land upon which holy temples were built. And with the advent of the Messianic era, it's a, it is the land, they say, where the third temple will soon be rebuilt. It's truly a holy and an elevated place. But the same way as a person is elevated when moving to Israel, one is also elevated each time he goes to the synagogue to pray. And inside the, the synagogue, there's the bima, which is um, a platform in the center of the room. From where the Torah scroll, scroll down, that is the, the first five books of the Old Testament. That's what the Torah scroll is. Where, the, where that is read. And it's elevated. It's an elevated place above all the rest of the synagogue. So not only is it making it easier for everybody to see the reader of the scroll and for them to hear it, but it also means that it is to be elevated in the hearts and the lives of those that are participating in the services. So the person who is called up to read the Torah or the first five books or reading from the first five books of the Old Testament, and it's not just because he ascends to the platform, but it's also a spiritual elevation. In life, one must always strive to climb higher and greater heights. Where appropriate, one must seek elevation, aliyah, whether in location or even, more importantly, within the personal lives and property and confines of every single individual. And I just want to just tell you, God is calling an aliyah, an ascending, 
And I want to just tell you, you are not a part of the fallen world. That it continues to go down and down and down and gets worse and worse and worse. But you are part of a rising church. Amen. An ascending church. Now, this coming that we're talking about is an aliyah. It's an elevating. It's a bringing a people into a position. Now, Jesus' coming, as you know, consists of three things. You can put this up for Thessalonians 4.16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trump of God, and the, the dead in Christ shall rise first. So he does these three things as he defend, descends. So there is a shout, the voice, and the trumpet. Three different phases of his coming. Amen. Three different phases of our Aaliyah. Amen. Because one thing, that there has to be a gathering back to the Word again. There has to become a Word that we become the voice of that Word. And then there has to be a gathering from here into the other dimension. So it is an Aaliyah. It's a catching up. It's a calling away. It's an elevation. God's about to elevate a bunch of people. Raise you up from the lowly state where there's sin and sickness and death and sorrow into a place where there is no such a thing. Are you with me, church? Amen. So here he he does all these three things as he descends. But the shout is not all there is to his coming. After the shout, there is a voice. And after the voice, there is a trumpet. So we, we can say there are these three phases to this promised rapture. One, a shout, uh, the one of phase one, the shout, a, a message from Christ to gather elect back to the word. This is exactly what John was. He was the shout of one crying in the wilderness. The voice or the shout of one crying or shouting in the wilderness. He couldn't shout from the synagogues. He couldn't shout from the Pharisees. He couldn't shout from those positions because he was on the outside of that. Remember where Christ was. He wasn't inside. He wasn't inside the Pharisees or inside the Sadducees, but he was on the outside. And that's where John found himself in the wilderness, making a way for the coming of the Lord. And so this, it was a shout, as, as John would say, the voice of one crying in the wilderness makes straight the path of the way of the Lord. And, and he would pull down the high places of exalted um, doctrines of man and lift up the neglected truths of God's word. And he'd make a level path for the coming of the Messiah. So he was preparing the way of the Lord for his first coming. Luke chapter 1 verse 16. And many of the children of Israel shall he turn to the Lord their God. Which is exactly parallel to Elijah. For he shall go before him in the spirit and the power of Elias. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. And the disobedience of the just. To the wisdom of the just. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Now, God would do this again in this end time. He wanted to prepare some hearts for his coming. 
He wanted also to prepare the hearts of Israel, the Jews, for his coming that is yet to be revealed to them. But in order to do that, he would have to gather them from among the nations where the Messiah could be revealed to them by their two prophets, which happens to be the whole of the old covenant, the law and the prophets, Moses and Elijah. And so, again, he would, he would send this. And, and yet, in this last day, God would also do something uh, to prepare us for his coming. And, and, and this is where William Branham's ministry would be as John the Baptist was sent to forerun. Now, the shout is a loud and a clear message of his coming. He's coming, and he's Savior He's healer. He's restorer. But yet, he, I, I just want to say today, that phase is now over with. He is not no longer using the prophet's voice to shout out a message. But yet, God still has a voice where that he is speaking. Now, we saw Laodicea can't be his voice. He spewed him out of his mouth. So there's got to be an elect people somewhere, a group of overcomers somewhere where that God has a voice on the earth. Now, so I just want to say to you today, let's get this concept in our mind that today the apostolic order is still the order of the day. God still uses men to preach the gospel. Hallelujah. Brother Branham would tell us, and I shared some of these with you last week, but I'm, I'm laying a foundation now that I'm going to build on. Let me just take my time this morning. I may have pulled that off. Can I pull that down, Aaron? Can you fasten that? In all ages, God has had men that he could put his hand on to do his work. Now, God chooses men, not machines. He chooses men to work through. He chose the prophets of the Old Testament. He chose his own son of the New Testament and the apostles. And on down to the age, he's always had a people who would believe him. God has never been without a witness. Sometimes it's gotten down to just a few, but there's always, there's a remnant. I want to say it again this morning. God has never been without a witness. God's got a people that are going to witness his resurrection. Amen. That are testifying of their return back to the homeland, back to its power, back to its glory, back to every promise that lays in that scripture. They have returned. Hallelujah. They are rejoicing because they can say it is our land. This land, oh hell, hallelujah, this land is our land. Every promise of it is our land. Hallelujah. Again, Brother Branham would say, God hiding himself in simplicity. God in the beginning could have made his son preach the gospel. Or the winds to preach the gospel or angel preach the gospel. But he ordained men for that purpose. And he never changes it. 
People like to praise Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. Let me get it to you. He never changes. He ordained man for that purpose. He never changes. He never ordained groups of men. He ordained men to preach the gospel, not machinery, mechanical devices, or any angelic being. It was man. Amen. So God, again, he said, would always works through agents, men. Man is God's agents also. Always. Not creeds, not denominations, but man. God never worked through machinery or he never worked through denominations. Notice how he ties this together. In doing so, he equates the making of machinery or a tape, the voice of God, as an organizational move. It's the spirit of Balaam. It's a false prophecy. Jesus when he was here. He ordained men to preach the gospel. Paul ordained men to preach the gospel. Saying preach the word. Be absent in season out of season. Reprove rebuke with all long suffering and doctrine. Because the time will come. When men will not endure. Sound doctrine. Amen. But of their own selves, heap to themselves teachers because they have an ear that's itching. Now, Brother Branham, when he was here, he ordained men to preach. He did not ordain Panasonics and Roberts and Iowas and Wallen Sachs or Sonys to preach the gospel. Come on. He said, God don't use machines, machinery, nor mechanical devices to preach the gospel. God doesn't use that. That is not God's method. Now, Jesus, when he left, he sent out men to preach in his place. Now, this is where we're going to go to the very words of Jesus Christ. For he said, I will build a church. And he's going to build a church. He's going to have a church like he started it. In this end time. So Paul when he left. He also sent out men to preach in his place. And brother Branham when he left. He too spoke of a church. The bride who would rise on the scene. To finish the work. Amen. Now like John brother Branham was a forerunner. Even as John. He told us he was forerunning someone. Now come on. Is the prophecy right or wrong? The prophecy said, as John the Baptist was sent. Well, John was sent as a forerunner. And that's what the prophecy said, to forerun. To forerun. The thing about it is, is many of us had the mindset that all the coming of the Lord was, was the meeting in the air. We didn't realize there would have to be a bride on the earth who was prepared to meet him. Are you with me? And it would take a message and a calling us back to the Lord. Listen, he's not going to come and, and rapture out of here those in false doctrines and walking in false light. He's not going to get the Pope and his, his two billions of Christians. You know, he's, he's not going to carry all them people in a rapture. That's not what the rapture's for. It's the, for the people who are the elect of God, who believe the word of God. Amen. If he said baptize in the name of Jesus Christ, that's what they do. 
Amen. If he preaches in this Bible, there is one God. That's what we got to preach. Whatever the Bible said, that's what we got to believe. We've got to be Bible-believing Christians. Not teaching traditions of man. So there has to be a return back to the Word again. And Brother Branham would say, my mission, I believe, to the earth is to forerun the coming Word. So the first part of his coming would be a message. And it would be forerun with gifts and signs and wonders. Incredible things. In order to vindicate it. He said, the coming Word, which is Christ. Then he repeats this again and he said... And the end time, as the end time prophecies will repeat, I believe as the first forerunner came from the wilderness and cried, Behold the Lamb of God, the second forerunner will do this, probably do the same by pointing the people to a word born bride. So even as he said, Behold the Lamb of God, and pointed to Christ, that this one, this forerunner would come and say, Look, look, and behold, there's a bride on the earth. Who matches the lamb that is coming from heaven. Hallelujah. That's exactly what God has in this end time. (coughs) Now. It is the last church age of of Louisiana. Of Laodicea. Who rejects Christ. Amen. And in turn Christ rejects them. And said, I will spew you out of my mouth. And I don't care where it's, what state you're from. Amen. Whether it's Louisiana, Arizona, Tennessee. Whether it's from Jeffersonville, Indiana, wherever it's from. Amen. You cannot reject the preeminence of this word. Or he will spew you out of his mouth. We have got a responsibility to stand right there in the mouth of God. And say what God said. Amen. But he says to Laodicea, you'll no longer speak for me. You have your own message. You have your own agenda. You have your own programs. Now, he would say of this in the church age book, a momentary consideration of church history will prove how accurate this thought is. In the dark ages, the word was almost entirely lost to the people. But God sent Luther with the word. And the Lutherans spoke for God at that time. But they organized, and again, the pure word was lost for organization, tends to dogma and creed and not simple word. They could no longer speak for God. Then God sent Wesley, and he was the voice of the word in his day. The people who took his revelation from God became the living epistles read and known of all men for their generation. And when the Methodists failed, God raised up others. And so it has gone on through the years until in this last day there is again another people in the land who under their messenger is the final voice for the final age. I'm looking at the final voice. He said, yes, sir, the church is no longer the mouthpiece of God. It is its own mouthpiece. So God's turning on her. 
And he will confound her through the prophet and the bride. For the voice of God will be in her. Amen. So in this last age, there is another people in the land who are given voice to the word of God. They are the mouth of God. Amen. Sons who are the manifestation of God, made in his image, conformed to the image of his son. Another offspring in his image is up on the earth. She is his image. She is his likeness. She is a manifestation, manifested, revealed son of God in bride form. Miss Jesus Christ. That's who she is. Hallelujah. Now, Brother Branham's asked a question after the seals. Would the bride of Christ have a ministry before the rapture? That's what a lot of people want to know. Will the bride of Christ, will the bride of Christ have a ministry before the rapture? And he says, sure. That's what's going on right now. The bride of Christ, certainly, it's the message of the hour, the bride of Christ. And she consists of apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. Is that right? That's the bride of Christ. Sure, she's got a ministry, a great ministry. It's the ministry of the hour. So the ministry of the hour is a five-fold ministry. Amen. Who is the voice of God in this last day? Amen. Now, if Brother Branham did believe different than that, why didn't he say so? He didn't say it. He never said, I fulfilled all the role of apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, and pastors. No. He says the bride has a ministry. And it's a great ministry. And, and the ministry of the bride, he said, consists of preachers. So he says again in the Laodicean age, so God still has a voice for the people of the world, even as he has given a voice to the bride. That voice is in the bride. Then he explains again in 63, he said, God could have chosen to preach the gospel by the sun, by the moon, by the stars, by the wind, or by nature, but he chose men to preach the gospel, and that's where the voice of God will come from. He tells us again that God said in the church, first what? Missionaries, apostles, or missionaries, as I told you, taught you the same thing. One, one sent, apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. God set in the church for the perfection of the church. That's the divine gifts that God foreordained and set into the church. Those are for the perfection of the church. Jesus speaks through his pastor. Speaks through his teacher. Speaks through his seer, his prophet. Speaks through his missionary to the countries and so forth. That's his gifts that he put in his church. Now, his voice is the voice of many waters. Not one, but many. Amen. This is, this is found in Revelation where that it tells us clearly, you know, that it's and brother Brandon said, What is that voice of many water? He said, It's the voice of the ministers through the Holy Spirit that is cried out to the people in every age. So, you see, that is where the voice of God comes from, amen. Now, now again, he would tell us that these that the voices of these multitudes of witnesses 
is what these vo- voice of many waters is, who by the Holy Spirit all through the ages have testified to Christ and preached this gospel. And there will be a voice of every man rising in judgment. Now, now, wait a minute. Not just the preacher's voice, but every man. Because every one of you are to give voice to this word. It's got to be lived in your life. It's got to be spoke out of your life. It's got to be emulated out of your life. Amen. So he says, again, it's the, would be the voice of God rising in judgment against a sinner who would not take warning. The voices of the seven messengers will be heard loud and clear. Those faithful preachers who preach the saving power of Jesus who preach water baptism in Jesus' name, who preach the infilling and power of the Holy Ghost, who stood with the word more than they stood with their own lives. All of them were the voice of Jesus Christ by the Holy Ghost down to the ages. Now you're the voice of the Holy Ghost in this age. Now, Jesus would say, neither do I pray for these alone. But also them which shall believe on me through their word. Are you ready now? Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 9, 35. Now, but when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Now, verse 35, I'm sorry, I, I missed that one. He went into all, about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Look, healing every sickness and every disease among the people. I want, I want you to watch. I want you to watch preaching and healing go hand in hand. You can't have true preaching without having true healing. Come on now, church. Amen. There's got to be more than doctrine. It's got to be the word and power. And so Jesus went about preaching, teaching in the synagogue and preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease from among the people. Now, that's what Jesus did then. I wonder what Jesus would do now. If he's the same yesterday, today, and forever, wouldn't Jesus be the same today as he was then? Amen. I hear a prophet say that he's the same in every detail except for his corporal body. Because he's not here in the nail-scarred body of Jesus, but he's here in the body of his church. And wherever Jesus is, there's teaching, preaching, and healing, and casting out devils. Hallelujah. Amen. But when he saw the multitude, now he sees so many. There's thousands of them gathered to him. And there's so many needs and so many sick and so many diseases and so many with questions and so many that's burdened down and so many that's hurting. They've been to the Pharisees and Sadducees and, and, and they've been whipped and beat and brought into, uh, taught every kind of creed and dogma and everything else. And Jesus finds this wounded, hurting people 
The devil has hit him from every side. Like the woman at the well, she, she not only had a sin question, she had a religious question, which was also a sin question. Because she was in unbelief. And Jesus had to come and, and tell her, you know, what true worship was. Is that right? Now, the same thing. These were multitudes. And the Bible said when he saw the multitudes, when he saw people that were sick and wounded, people confused, scattered, hurting. We're talking about seed of Abraham. He was moved with compassion because they fainted. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. The Amplified said they fainted because they were bewildered. Kind of like it was when Jesus found you. Bewildered, confused, scattered. Amen. Come on. Harassed. Distressed, dejected, helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. Amen. They had no true leadership. Oh yeah, they had they had churches, they had synagogues, they had Pharisees, they had Sadducees, but it only brought more confusion. Like the woman at the well. Our fathers say worship in this mountain, you Jews in Jerusalem. You know, you know what what do we do? Bewildered. How many gods do we serve anyhow? You know, if I pray to the Father too much, will the Son get mad? If I say something to Jesus too much, will the, will the Holy Ghost get offended? And we're leaving out the Holy Ghost in our worship. Bewildered. Confused. Amen. Do we sprinkle or do, is it, you know, is it when we're infants or is it when we're adults or are we immersed or, you know, uh, you know, is it in titles? Is it three times forwards and three times backwards? Is it this way? Is it that way? Hey, they're every kind of man idea scattered like sheep without a shepherd, troubled and wandering. Now, Jesus was very active in his ministry. He was going from city to city and village to village. And everywhere he went, he preached and healed every disease and sickness. Seeing these multitudes that needed to be ministered to, the Bible said he was moved with compassion because he saw the people were weak and weary and faint-hearted because they had no spiritual food. And he saw them like scattered sheep. Because they had no shepherd. There was no one to guide them to green pastures. No one to lead them out of the hot sun and to the shade in the noonday sun. You know, there, were, there, was, there was no leadership among them. They were scattered. Not only that, were they tormented on the religious realm, they were tormented on the physical realm. And so they were blind and hot and lame and crippled and and, and just every, every way possessed. And they come to him by the hundreds. And the compassion of Jesus, seeing the many suffering sheep, caused him, something moved within him, to ask for labors to be sent into the harvest. 
Amen. Do you realize he stood there and he said, the job is too big for me to do alone. I am not humanly possible to able to touch everyone, to minister to everyone, to cast the devil out of everyone, to heal every sick. Can you imagine the prayer lines? And yet, yet, you know, he would get fatigued. If you read the life of Jesus, he'd get so exhausted, the storm wouldn't even wake him up. When he finally got his sleep, that must have been after days and nights of being kept up to touch another fevered brow, to heal another sick person. Maybe the next one in line had to wait while the master went away. He came in as a man. And as a man, he had human limitations. He couldn't be everywhere at once. He couldn't, he, he couldn't minister to all of them. So he saw the multitude. And something moved him with compassion. They've got to have shepherds. There have got to be a ministry. There have got to be others. Amen. And he realized he alone was not enough. Even though he was the Christ, the Messiah of God, yet in his humanity he had limitation. He got, he got weary. He needed rest. He needed sleep. He couldn't minister them all. So, so Jesus said, pray. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest... It's truly plenteous. There's so many. I've got to reach this one. No, I've got to reach that one. There's that mother there, and there's this blood issue, and there's that crippled child, and there's that blind eye, and that, that leprous one. There's that one confused and misunderstanding. They don't know me. They don't know who I am. And he says the harvest is truly but the labors are few and then he said pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth labors into his harvest ask God for labors you know I need help with this I can't do it all by myself Now listen, if the Messiah, the Son of God, and His humanity couldn't do it all by Himself, what makes you think Malachi 4 could do it all by Himself? If Jesus realized, I need others, what makes these bunch of unbeachable people around the message today want to reject the ministry when Jesus Himself said, I need help? When Jesus himself realized he's the son of God. And he said, I, I, I need other, I need more hands. I need more feet. I need more mouths. Amen. I, I don't want to just be one mouth and one hand or two hands and two feet. But there's got to be others that are sent forth in my name. So to do that, I got to call a ministry. And you pray that the Father, the Lord of the harvest, will send forth labors in this harvest. 
Now that word sin means to force out, to thrust, to thrust labors into the harvest. In other words, thrust it like a sickle. You know, it'd be looking, it'd be you looking at having a hand um, harvest a, a thousand acres. You're standing there with one little sickle, and you see hundreds of acres left. You done an acre, you done two acres, you done three, but oh, there's much more to be done. And the harvest has got to be brought in. Amen. They're ripe. But I, I'm only one sickle. I need other sickles. Thrust another sickle. Thrust another sickle into the harvest, Lord. Send another labor. We've got to get the job done. That's where we are in this end time. Amen. We've got to get the job done. Trust like a sickle. In response to this, in response to this prayer, you look at this prayer. Response to this prayer, Jesus commissions apostles. Now, apostle means a delegate, a messenger, a one sent with orders. Uh, A delegate is a representative, an agent. So Jesus there commissioned some agents, some representatives, some delegates, some messengers to help him with the job. Amen. Now, I want you to notice, and if you read the Bible, it wasn't just poured out upon um, upon the 12. It was also on 70 others. Amen, because he was sending laborers into the harvest. Now, an apostle means a special messenger from God. They're part of the ministry. In In reality, every minister is an apostle of the Lord. He's one sent. He is a representative. He is God's agent. Amen. Now, Brother Branham, in the, in the message, God and his people, he said, God don't fall upon denomination. God doesn't fall upon mechanical devices. God, the Holy Spirit, fell upon men. Man is God's agent, and that's the hardest thing God has ever had to do was to get one mortal to believe another. Amen. Straight as the gate, Brother Branham said it this way. They for, they, they, for instance, could not believe that God was in that man. That was the biggest obstacle they had to climb over, was how him being a man yet made himself God. They could not see how God could dwell in human flesh. And in all ages and all times, God has dwelt in man. Man is God's agent. In every generation, God speaks to his people through human lips. Every generation. And he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Every generation he speaks, he speaks to his people through human lips. Now, notice this. He works through agents. Man. Man is God's agent always. Not creeds, not denominations, but man. God never worked through machinery or never worked through denominations. Now, he would say, we know you only speak through human lips. You made men your agency. 
Now, wait a minute. You're sitting here for a moment thinking, I'm just trying to prop up preachers. I'm trying to get you to understand that you too are the voice of God. I want you to understand also that you are a voice in this end time. That God is using, whether you're a teenager at school, whether you're, you're there on your job, wherever you are. God's got a witness somewhere. Amen. And he's reaching out for that lost one. And you've got a job. You, every one of you, have got a job to do. You've got to go tell somebody that your God is a living God. That your God is a healer, a deliverer, a savior. And you can use your own testimony. Amen. And so what God did for you to bring deliverance to somebody else. God has a ministry on the earth. Amen. It's a bride. Come on, church. It's a bride. Now, he said, you made man your agency. One day you were standing. You said, looked upon the harvest and said, it's ripe. Pray the Lord the harvest. And he'll send laborers in his harvest. And you were the Lord the harvest. But you're so connected to your program. You and men together, you do nothing apart from that. So if the message gets out, you're going to have to do it. Come on now. He's calling you. These apostles would be laborers, laborers and workers in his field for the harvest. Now, the Bible said he commissioned his disciple. Now, I mean, he's a disciple. Amen. He commissioned his disciples. A disciple is a learner or a student. Or a pupil. And I want to just tell you, you've been good disciples a long time. And you've held the message really dear to your heart. And you've really learned well. And you're good, good scholars on your paper. But there comes a time where you got to realize we don't do schoolwork the rest of our life. we got to go do the real job. You can get the certificate of achievement and passing all of the grades of knowing all of the doctrines and the teachings of the message. And you can get A's on every one of them and ain't got one little idea of how to put it up to work. This gospel's got to work. If this gospel don't work, we might as well fold it up and go home because we're just a powerless group of people. Whose only weapon that we got is this argument. But I believe God's got some people that's got more than a better argument. I believe there's got people that have been endued with power from on high. That are called in commission in this last hour. Hallelujah. Now Matthew. Verse 1. Says. He called. He called and he gave power. Listen, if you've been called, he also gave you power. If you've been called to this message, you've also been given power that comes with the calling. He called 12 disciples and he gave them power, oh hallelujah, against unclean spirits. (laughs) 
to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. You just put a name to it. You are called to cast it out. Glory to God. That's what you're called for. Amen. You are called to be a devil to Peter. No matter what form he comes in. No matter what kind of complex that he tries to put upon you. No matter what kind of spirit of infirmity or some spirit upon your mind. You know the devil, if he can put chains around your mind, he can control your whole being. He can pull you under a complex and hold you under that complex and you'll never be able to perform for God because you're, you're chained in your mind. But I'll tell you, the, the message of God is sent forth to give us power against unclean spirits, to cast them out and to heal all manners of sickness and all manner of diseases. If he called you, he commissioned you. How many have been called to be a part of the bride? Then he's also commissioned you. Then I tell you, what are you letting devils torment your home? What are you letting dormant devils come and torment your family? Why are you letting the heathens rage? And the people imagine the vain thing when Christ has commissioned you and ordained you to cast out Satan. Hallelujah. Let me tell you about his doctrine. You say, well, Brother Tim, we got the doctrine. Brother, we got the doctrine. Oh, hallelujah, we got the message. We got the doctrine. Fifty years we've been perfecting it. Yes, it's about like that Cadillac sitting there all polished and don't have no fire in it. Won't go nowhere. It won't go to the Holy Ghost. It won't go to healing. Won't go to deliverance. Come on. You don't even want any noise coming out of the thing. Amen. We crank it up and rev the motor and somebody shouts hallelujah, glory to God. And there might be some dancing in the aisles or maybe somebody speaking a heavenly language. Amen. People want to shut it off. Amen. But let me tell you, it ain't just about grinding on the battery. It's putting it down in gear and driving it down the road to divine healing, to deliverance, to salvation. Luke chapter 4 and verse 32. I want you to see his doctrine. Luke 4, 32. Let's see his doctrine. And they were astonished at his doctrine. For his word was with power. Amen. Any word that doesn't have the power with it ain't his doctrine. You, you might be, oh my, you might be the new darling in the message. You might be the, the latest thing that, that, is, that is out there. And the, the, the head of the, the latest personality cult that is out there. But I'll tell you, friend, if your doctrine don't have power. Amen. And I'm not talking about jumping up and down and clapping and somebody having to say, sit down. I'm talking about the power of the living God changing the lives first. And foremost, and then signs following them that believe. 
You know what we need is a repentance around the world of these backslidden message churches that have doctrine with no power in it. They can talk about the power of what it used to be, but know nothing of the Holy Ghost. You say, well, let me, let me tell you, I'm no kid saying these things. I'm no kid saying these things. I, I, I have, a, I, by, by now, I know where I stand. I know my position. I've had 50 years of them in the ministry almost. I know exactly where I'm standing. I can say these things. I, I'm not a new kid on the block getting up there and touting against it. I, I am, I, I have, I've got some miles behind me. Are you with me? And, I, and whether you believe it or not, I still got some miles ahead of me. Because I've just now begun to fight. Amen. We're going to see this thing to the end. We're going to see it all the way to the resurrection. We're going to see it to the rapture. There's somebody going to be an overcomer in this generation. And we happen to be the ones called for it. Hallelujah. And I'm not backing down and I'm not giving up and I'm not treating land to the devil. I'm not walking away from a promise of God. I'm taking every divine word of God and saying, it's my God, it's mine. There ought to be a, there ought to be a thousand Jews in here. Uh, Israel is standing up and, and, and praying and saying, Thank you, God. Amen. Your, your, your word is being recognized this morning. Your position in the bride is being recognized. The word was of power. Verse 33 says, In the synagogue, There was a man with the spirit of an unclean devil, which gave voice to the devil. Somebody help me preach. If we ain't living in that day where men and women are giving voice to Satan. And you young people got a choice this morning to give voice to the devil or voice to Jesus. So which one are you going to give voice to? A spirit of an unclean devil. And a crowd out with a loud voice. I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of Israel. Just because you know the message is true don't give you no authority. You can still be a devil. And recognize that there's truth in it. And Jesus rebuked him saying, hold thy peace and come out of him. And when the devil had thrown him in the midst, he came out of him and heard him not. And they were all amazed and spake among themselves, saying, What a word is this? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. Hallelujah. Did you hear it? What a word is this? I want to say, what a message we got. Amen. Because with power and authority, we can command the unclean spirits and they come out. Hallelujah. How do I know? They come out of you and you and you and you and you and you. Come on, church. Amen. And there's been this healing power go out and heal you and you and you and you and you. 
And distance and time don't make any difference. I just got a letter from a little brother in South Africa that we just sent a prayer cloth to. How many remembers the other day? Amen. I sent a prayer cloth over to South Africa. A brother who'd been without a job, languishing in a in a in a in a in a, in a, in a needy position. His wife with with cancer. And he wrote me back. He said we received a prayer cloth, brother Tim. She had finished her chemo and her radiation, you know, and whatever. But said, you know, there we received that prayer cloth, and all her pain left. She's off of the morphine, and I got a new job. You know what I said that morning when I prayed over that prayer request? Your enemy is dead. Amen. There was a little brother that wrote me afterwards, and he said, I'm from South Africa too. And said, I prayed for, for, I think it was 11 years, I've struggled with something, a terrible burden. Only my wife knew. I just lived with this thing, and I was tormented by this thing. And I was looking for deliverance. I was looking for deliverance. And he said, there was something that just said, if I could just hear those words, your enemy is dead. And he said, there when you prayed for that little brother from South Africa, I heard you say those words twice. Your enemy is dead. And said, Brother Tim, this is my testimony. My enemy is dead. Hallelujah. I want to tell you this morning, your enemy is dead. Your enemy has no power. Your enemy has no life in it. The only thing that is alive is a resurrected living Christ. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Why? Because we have more than a doctrine. But what a word this is. This word can liberate. This word can set free. This word can heal. This word can fill with the Holy Ghost. This word has power in it. This word is the anointing. This word is life. This word is everything. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Amen. What a word. For with authority and with power, he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. Amen. I don't have to take you back far in your memory to youth camp just a few years ago when one turned into a beast right onto the platform, took a precious daughter of God, and turned her into snarling beast trying to hit me saying I won't come out and growling Donnie Reagan said he made his boast at the wrong camp it was the wrong set of ears to hear that that day amen because there was some believing people and what he said he wouldn't do he had to do Because at the name of Jesus, every knee has to bow and every tongue has to confess. 
that he is Lord, ruler, supreme ruler. Hallelujah. I didn't set a timer this morning. So don't worry. Amen. Now, Paul would say in the second in, in First Corinthians, he says, now this is an intellectual servant of God. You know, he, he was trained, raised up by Gamaliel. He was a scholar. But he said, I had to forget everything that I knew and count it as dung. Now, probably Gamaliel and his team did not appreciate what he was teaching as dung. But Paul said, I counted as dung that I might win Christ. And he said, I didn't come to you, you know, with uh, excellency of speech and wisdom, declaring you the testimony of God, saying, I'm Dr. So-and-so and so. But I've determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. Oh, if we could just come back to that where we're determined to know nothing but this word, Jesus Christ. Amen. And my speech was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of the power. So Brother Branham said, see, there is the gospel. Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. He didn't say, go teach. He said, go preach. In other words, demonstrate the power. And these signs shall follow them. Just teaching doesn't do it. It takes the actual spirit itself demonstrating those signs. I wonder if we hadn't made a big mess around the world. And that's why there's so much confusion there is to where when I come back from overseas many times, I say, the further I go, the behinder I get. And the reason I say that is because there's so much more to do. You get some little something straightened out only to find another tangled up web somewhere. You know, in every kind of thing that you can imagine. Misunderstanding. And I wonder if we didn't go into it wrong and try to establish teaching rather than establish God's sent preaching. Demonstrating with signs and wonders. Brother Branham said, there is the gospel. He said, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Didn't say go teach. He said, go preach. In other words, demonstrate the power and these signs shall follow them. Just teaching doesn't do it. It takes the actual spirit itself demonstrating these signs. Now, did this pattern follow in the book of Acts? Let's see what they did. Acts 5 and verse 15. Here, go, here they go out in the book of Acts. Insomuch that they brought forth the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and couches that at the least the shadow of Peter passing by might overshadow some of them. And there came also a multitude out of the city round about into Jerusalem bringing sick folks and them which were vexed with unclean spirits and they were healed every one. This is what followed the book of Acts. 
Amen. Let's look what, what Paul's, Paul, Saul's persecution. Acts chapter 8 and verse 3. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entered into every house, and hailing men and women, committing them to prison. Therefore, they were scattered abroad and went, you think the devil stopped it? Look what happened. Because Paul brought, or Saul brought this persecution on the church. It scattered them abroad. And they went everywhere preaching the word. And Philip came down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them. Oh my, look at what he preached. Christ. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake. Now I want you to notice, it was preaching, speaking, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. For unclean spirits crying with a loud voice came out of many of them that were possessed with them. And many taken with palsy and that were lame were healed. And there was great joy in that city. That's a book of Acts church. Now when Paul got converted, remember, he's this theologian. He goes away into the wilderness and he compares scripture with scripture. And he finds out that Jesus is the Christ. In verse 20 of chapter 9, and straightway he preached Christ in the synagogues that he's the son of God. Straightway. He preached Christ in the synagogues. I'm trying to get you that every time when the Holy Ghost came upon men, there was a manifestation of the life of God coming out of them. And it would exhibit itself in preaching and casting out devils and healing the sick. Amen. Now, let's run back to Matthew chapter 10 and verse 2. I didn't get very far. (coughs) Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. Now, remember, he called. Back up to verse 1. Let's just see. And when he called unto his 12 disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out, to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of diseases. Now the names of the 12 apostles are these. First Simon, called Peter, Andrew his brother, James the son of Zebedee, John his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew the publican, James the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, and Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. These twelve, Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not in the way of the Gentiles or into any city of the Samaritans. Enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, let me just tell you, this was, it had to be first go out to the Jews, and then it would be rejected, and then it would be turned over into the Gentiles. You remember that? Now here, we're on the end. Now, well, we got a lot of guys you don't want to raise up. They're going to have this great ministry for the Jews. Well, you Gentiles, you might as well look at the scripture in reverse. Don't go to the Jews. Your job as a Gentile is to get a bride ready to meet Christ. And all of these false prophets that want to gather money, and that's all it's about, is a money-making deal. To try to get a gender money up for, for a ministry in Israel, it ain't going to work. It's going to be Jewish prophets. Amen. And Israel will be turned back to God in a day. 
So stay out of Israel. And if you, if you, you know, all you have to do is read the message and even know what God did with his prophet and follow the example and you won't get into trouble. Are you with me? But now notice what he said. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel because this is where it had to go first till it was rejected. And when the Gentiles fully reject the gospel and the bride is taken out, then the gospel will return to the Jews. So no, I'm not going over to Israel to discover whether or not I can be one of the prophets. No, I know where my ministry is. I'm not even preaching a sermon there except the one I live. And I preach that every day. Now, Matthew chapter 10 and verse 7, and as you go, preach. Notice, notice what he said. Go, preach. This is the commission of Jesus. This is what he commissioned his disciples, his students to do. Wherever where you go, preach. Now, if you're a true disciple of Jesus, this is what you're going to do. You're going to preach. You're not going to let anybody set you down. Amen. You're called of God to preach. Now, you know, everybody don't have a pulpit ministry. Amen. Everybody ain't a pastor. Everybody ain't even one of the fivefold. But wherever you go, wherever you live, even if you're a lady, you preach with your life. Amen. And preach saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if our lives would say, amen, to the world, there's a God that's coming back for a people. Make yourself ready. You'd have a lot more influence. Come on. Because our real job is to tell the world the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Listen, we are, we are right here on the cusp of the Messiah coming back. We're right here up on the edge of the meeting in the air. The trump is about to sound. We've been gathered for the trump. Now, Mark 3, 14, he ordained 12 that they should go with him and he sent them forth to preach and to have power to heal sickness and cast out devils. Look, we're preaching and healing the sick and casting out devils go hand in hand. Come on. Amen. They go hand in hand. Now, this pattern now, of course, is continued to the end. Because he says in Matthew 24, 14, And this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. So Jesus himself commissioned preachers to go out. Amen. Right here all the way to the end of the world. It don't change. By the way, because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change the way he does it. So he said the kingdom, the gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations. And then shall the end come. You know, I've got letters from people saying, Brother Tim, you shouldn't, your voice shouldn't be out there on the internet. Well... Jesus commissioned me to preach unto all the world. It's my job. Amen. It's my responsibility. It's a bride responsibility. 
Amen. Prophesy again to every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. Amen. So, you know, you go do whatever God called you to do. I'm just going to do what God called me to do. Amen. Because why? We're not running a popularity contest. I'm not doing this to be popular. I'm doing this because there's got to be a voice go out into all the world so the end can come. Now, watch Mark chapter 13, verse 10. And the gospel must be published, is saying Greek word, preached among all nations. Mark 16, verse 15, and he said, go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Amen. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, and he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs might, could, sometimes will, maybe in some ages they will, but in ages, later ages they won't. These signs shall. They don't sound like a maybe so. These signs shall follow them that believe. How many believers? Then in my name shall they cast out devils. Every person has a right to lay hands on the sick. Every person has a right to pray for that little fevered child in your home. To rebuke the devil. Come on, somebody. Amen. To stand there in prayer for your young people or for your, even your grown children. And stand right there and, 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 and speak that word and say, I believe it and I'm sending it forth today to bring deliverance into that home. Hallelujah. It'll do it. I said it'll do it. Amen. When the word comes out of the mouths of a son or daughter of God, it's the same as deity speaking. Every mountain's got to go. You limit God by not speaking to your mountains. Your mountains got to hear your voice. These signs shall follow them that believe. In my name they shall cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. If they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat down on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere. The Lord working with them, Confirming with signs following. Amen. Look at there. Put an amen. So be it. It's the truth. And when you say amen to it, that's you taking this word as your very own and saying that now is my word. Hallelujah. Amen. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 9 verse 1 called his 12 disciples together and gave them power and authority over all devils. How many devils? All All devils. And to cure diseases. And he sent them to preach the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Amen. So he sent them out to heal. Look in verse 8 of chapter 10. Heal the sick. Now here's the commission. Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Matthew 10, 8. Matthew 10, 8. Heal the sick. Cleanse the lepers, 
Raise the dead. Must be, there you are. Freely you received, freely give. Now that's your commission. As you freely receive, freely give it. Amen. So what do you do? Heal the sick. Cleanse the leper. Raise the dead. Cast out devils. You're commissioned. This is Jesus. Amen. Now watch. Luke chapter 10 verse 19. Let's go there. And here is the account. Behold, I give you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing. Amen. Say nothing. Nothing shall my enemies hurt you. I give you the power to do it. To do what? To tread on scorpions and serpents. Come on. And over all, not some, all the power of the enemy. You are to put your foot on that devil. Amen. Because you are to rule and reign with Christ. You've been given spiritual dominion. Are you with me? Amen. Now, this was all given by the word of Jesus without the Holy Ghost. Because the Holy Ghost was not yet given. But I want you to notice there's even more power after the Holy Ghost has come. So if you turn with me to Luke chapter 24, we're just talking about the calling of a ministry. You know, and how Jesus appeared to them and, and, and showed them his, his hands and he ate of the fish and honeycomb and, and, and all of that. And said, hey, you know, look at my hands and feet. And, and then in verse 46, he said, that thus is written, it thus it behoove Christ to suffer and to raise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name among all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you, but tarry you in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. So if you can see it before, they're given temporary power. But when you get the Holy Ghost, that is not temporary power. That power is never lifted from you. Come on, Judas lost the power. Peter lost the power. Peter went into denial, Judas into betrayal, and all the others forsook him. Come on. But when this power came on them, hallelujah, it was not a temporary endowment. It was now the indwelling of the almighty God in the believer. This never leaves you or forsakes you. This is here when you feel down. This is here when you feel up. This is here no matter how you feel. This is here when you're on your deathbed. This is here when you're up well. This is here. It's not a temporary power. It's a permanent indwelling of the Holy Ghost. He says, I'll never leave you or forsake you. Are you with me now? Now then, he tells them in Luke chapter 10, and I'm going to have to skip over some of this quickly, but he tells them, don't worry about provisions. Luke chapter 10, verse 9. And, or excuse me, Matthew 9, 10 and 9. Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass nor for your purses, nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, neither stays, for the workman is worthy of his meat. In other words, don't worry about provisions. 
walk out in faith, I'll provide every step of the way. Hallelujah. Amen. When we needed a building, what did he do? Amen. Come on, when you needed a helper, what did he do? Come on, whatever it was. Come on. He is a, when you need a healing, what did he do? He provided whatever it was. He's a provider. Come on. Amen. So don't worry. Notice, don't worry about provision. Walk out in faith. I'll be there. All right. Verse 11. Whatever city or town you shall enter, inquire who is worthy and there abide there thence. When you come in a house, salute it, and if that house be worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it be not worthy, let your peace return to you. Verse 14. Woe to them. What's these verses? Woe to them who will not receive you. And when a, when a people turns down a God-called, God-sent minister, woe to that people. Come on. Amen. And whosoever shall not receive you or hear your words when you depart out of that house or that city, sick off the dust off your feet. For verily I say unto you, it'll be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. And to reject the ministry of God brings the judgment of God on your life. Amen. But for you ministers, don't worry about the opposition. And don't worry about what you're going to say when you're opposed. Amen. For he said, Behold, I send you for the sheep in the midst of wolves. Be you wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you into councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues, and you shall be brought before governors and kings for my sakes, and for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought of what you shall speak, for it shall be given you in that same hour what you shall speak. For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father that speaketh in you. And the brother shall deliver brother up to death. And the father the child. And the children against their parents. And cause them to put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end, the same shall be saved. Amen. Don't give up. Don't give up because you're, and Jesus gives the worst scenarios. He said, right down to even brothers, sisters, parents, everybody, turn against you, but don't you stop. You know you've been commissioned. Amen. When, when someone comes against you, don't worry about what you say. The spirit of your father will be in your mouth. Amen. But when they persecute you in this city, flee to the, another. For verily they send you, you. I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. The disciple is not above his master, nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. For if they call the master of the house Beelzebub, the prince of devils, how much more shall they call them of his household? So with people, have bad things to say about you. It is enough. To know that a disciple, that he is as his master and as a servant, as his Lord. It's enough to know I'm just like Jesus. They couldn't say something good about him either and they wouldn't receive him either. He came to his own house and they refused him. Somebody help me preach. 
Amen. Fear not them, therefore. For there is nothing covered that shall not be revealed and hid that shall not be known. What I tell you in darkness, that you shall that speak ye in light. And what you hear in the ear, that preach ye upon the housetop. Look how many times he tells them. Preach, 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 preach. That's what he does when he commissions a ministry. He sends them out to preach and to demonstrate. Amen. Then he tells us about our worth. Verse 28. Fear them that not that can kill the body, but are able, but are not able to kill the soul, but rather fear him which is able to, to destroy both soul and body in hell. Don't fear them. You have reverence toward God. And are not two spirits sold for a farthing, and one of them shall not fall to the ground without your father? But, but the very hair of your hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear ye not, therefore, you are more value than many sparrows. Amen. Don't, don't, don't let the enemy come along and say, you have no value, you have no worth. You're worth more than any other thing. Listen, you're the apple of his eye. You're the very reason he died. You're the very reason he came to earth. You're the very reason he sent a message in the end time. Amen. But this sword, this word will be a sword and it'll cause division. But you must not love even family above me. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Christ. Are you with me? Matthew 10, 34, watch. He's calling a ministry. You can't love anybody above me. You can't fear nobody or reverence anybody more than you reverence me. Don't fear them, reverence me. Don't worry about them. If you, even if you get persecuted, you're just like me. In this, you're counted worthy to be like me. Amen. Verse 34. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace, but a sword. You know, people got the wrong idea of Christianity. He didn't come to send peace, he sent a sword. That sword is to cut out a people for his namesake, to separate you from the world. And when it does, it many times cuts off relationships. Not because you want them cut off. But because, but because of your stand for Christ. Your friends leave you. Your family leaves you. Everybody talks negative against you. Can you imagine? Listen, we... Jeremy, stand up. Stand up just for a minute. This young man, a bartender. A bartender there, oh, was 19 years old, 19, 20 years old. There, a bartender. Comes to camp, God saves him, turns his life around. You think all his friends loved him for it? No, they, they, didn't, they didn't like him no more. They, even his girlfriend didn't like this Jeremy. I want the old Jeremy. I want him back. We see people, we say, thank you, Brother Jeremy. We see people saved out of the world, young people. 
I might say that being drugs and alcohol and smoking, doing all kinds of defiling themselves, and then, you know, saved out of the world and come to Christ, and their parents say, don't you go to that cult. You stay away from them people. Oh, I liked you better the way you want. You mean you would rather be a drunk and a, uh, you know, a drope head and an and adulterer and all, living the kind of life? Then to have something that would change my life and make me a righteous person? See, not that I've come to send peace on the earth. I came not to send peace but a sword. For I'm come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a man's foe shall be of his own household. And he that loveth father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he that loveth son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And he that taketh not his cross and falleth after me is not worthy of me. And he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loses his life for my sake shall find it. So Jesus is saying this word is going to be a sword and it will cause division. But you must not even love family above me. You know, I've seen preachers sell out because of a kid, a child. Sell out and, you know, and, and, and compromise and, and move over. and Stand against even Christians and other saints of God in defense of their child. Don't you ever leave the word to defend your child. Or your parents. Or anybody else. You stay with the word. Amen. And then let the word save them. Now this is what Jesus said. And I'm almost down the end of the chapter. And I'm determined to finish this. But Jesus says in verse 40. Those that receive you receive me. He that receive you receives me and he that receiveth me receives him that sent me now in the calling of a ministry this is where I I want you to get it this is where it places people who refuses a pastor who refuses a ministry the fivefold ministry because to refuse that ministry Jesus talking to the minister to refuse you is to refuse me If you receive me, he that receiveth you, receiveth me. He that receiveth me, receiveth him that sent me. You say, Brother Tim, it didn't say what you said. Well, let's look at Luke 10, 16. He that heareth you, heareth me. And he that despises you, despises me. And he that despises me, despises him that sent me. Verse 41. He that receiveth a prophet in the name of a prophet shall receive a prophet's reward. And he that receiveth a righteous man in the name of a righteous man shall receive a righteous man's reward. And whosoever shall give to drink unto one of these my little ones a cup of cold water only in the name of the disciple, I say unto you, he shall in no wise lose his reward. In other words, whatever you do to them, you did it to me. And God takes knowledge. Of what you do to his servants. Even if it's your, your, your sister sitting on the pew next to you. God takes notice 
of how you treat one another. And God takes notice of how you treat the ministry. And he said, to refuse them is to refuse me. Now, you know, and let me say it again. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Amen. Now, so Brother Branham would say in this, he says, whosoever receive a prophet in the name of a prophet. Brother Tim, who in the world's a prophet today? Well, let me tell you who a prophet is. Brother Branham said, first thing I would say according to rules of the church of the New Testament, at the first place the people entered the church of God in the spirit of a worship. And they walked in, the hymns were sang. And maybe the preacher would speak, for he was the prophet of the church. A New Testament prophet is a preacher. We know that. Amen. Well, there's a lot of people who don't know that. But a New Testament preacher is a prophet. And Brother Branham said, when he stands in the pulpit and under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost, he said, it is the spirit of prophecy speaking through him. That's why many times when I'm speaking like that, I'll say, I am prophesying. Amen. Because I realize I'm speaking under the inspiration of the Holy Ghost. And it's more than a man saying something. But God is trying to get something over to his people. Amen. Now, the foundation of his church, of course, is Jesus Christ. He is the chief cornerstone. Amen. Verses Ephesians 2 and 20. And are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ is in himself being the chief cornerstone in every church. Jesus has got to be the chief cornerstone. But the church is built on a ministry. Amen. Read, read the Bible. Where, where did that go? Ephesians 2.20. They are built upon the foundation of apostles and prophets. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Do you realize how real church raises up? It raises up around the gift of God. God sends a gift, a ministry to an area. And people come around that. It don't work the other way. That's the real way. When God sends, now there may be a group of people there and the minister come. I'm not saying that can't happen, but still, it will be built around that ministry. It'll be the ministry of Christ. In whom you, all the building are fitly framed together, groweth into a holy temple of the Lord, for in whom you are built together for a habitation of God to the Spirit. Now, not only are the ministry prophets, but they are also messengers. Let's go to 2 Corinthians 8 and verse 23. Whether you, any of you to inquire of Titus, he is my partner. Now, he's, he is the first church age messenger. He's, a, he's, a, he's the star of the age. But he has a partner and a fellow helper concerning you. Or our brother be inquired of. They are the messengers of the churches. And the glory of Christ. Look here. This is what he says. This is what Paul said the ministry was. He said, not only are they fellow helpers and partners to the church age messenger, but they are messengers of the churches and the glory of Christ. 
Now that's what God thinks when he calls a ministry. Now Brother Branham was saying question and answers. He said, but this message I'm preaching is the true message of this day, and it's the last message. You see what I'm doing, brethren? I'm putting you all in the same place I am, because you're just as much as I am. You are messengers of this same message. Then he goes on to say, when the Holy Spirit is speaking, he speaks through mortal lips. I believe these ministers are, are behind me, and you brothers... You never preached a sermon in your life. The Holy Spirit preached through you a sermon. That's right. See, we don't preach. The Holy Spirit does the speaking. Oh, we might write out something and read it, but that isn't preaching. Preaching is when inspiration comes, and it's preached by inspiration, and the Holy Spirit gives the unction. Now, we read something, it doesn't matter. When the Holy Spirit gets a hold of it and takes it out to the people and something takes a hold, that's the Holy Spirit. That's not your pastor preaching. That's the Holy Spirit preaching in your pastor out to you, giving the message. Amen. So now, here you again. Where, where are we, church? We're here in the end time. We're in a time where Jesus has called a ministry. And God has sent a forerunner. Amen. To call out a bride. And she, in her ministry, consists of apostles, prophets, teachers, evangelists, pastors. And they are for the perfecting or the building up of the saints. Because the blood is what perfects you. It washes away your sin. No preacher can do that. But it perfects you by edifying. That word is edify or builds up the body of Christ. There's a calling of a ministry. And you happen to be called to that ministry. And you are a part of that last day ministry. And everywhere they went, they healed the sick. They raised the dead. They cast out devils. They preached the word. And it was more than doctrine. There was a power that followed that word. Now there's a voice in the last day. And because the churches have turned him out. God still has a voice in the last day. And that voice is in his bride. And you are the final voice to the final age. One time Luther spoke for God. But then they denominated. They no longer speak for God. Look at them going back and joining back with Mama. Going right back as a harlot daughter back to the mother whore. She learned to prostitute herself just like mama did. Wesley's done the same thing. You can't get the United Methodists to stand for truth anymore. You can't see. John Wesley's move is, is a dead move. We come right on down to Baptist, Pentecostal, right on down. They're all dying. But there's somebody. Oh, God. Can these bones live? Amen. Can he gather them back? Can he gather a people back to the word again? Is there a people in the land? Oh, I hear a prophet of God saying, Thank God there is another people in the land. And they are the final voice to the final age. And they have heard their Aaliyah. And they have returned back to their homeland. 
promise. In the last day, will you stand with me and worship the Lord? Amen. Worship him with all your heart because you have been called to this last day. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to be able to bring this right down to the end where I wanted to bring it today. There are many things I couldn't yet say, but you get the gist of it. God has called a ministry in this last day, and he has called you to be a part of it. He has called you in an aliyah to come up higher. I'm asking you this morning, don't you want to come up to where the word is? Don't you want to come up to where the promises are? Don't you want to ascend today? Don't you want to rise above your doubts and your fears and your confusion? Amen. Don't you want to come back? Amen. To that promised land of his word. Why don't you say, Lord, Lord, cause a rising up within me today. Amen, because you've got a New Testament church and they're rising up, Lord. There's somebody, somebody going to believe in this last day. Somebody's going to be everything the Word said. There's going to be a real true ministry. I tell you, there is a real true ministry. Hallelujah. And these signs follow them that believe. Hallelujah. His works are among us. If God be with us, where are his miracles? I'm looking at you this morning. You are his miracles. He's performed his miracles in your life. We can go down and we can talk about healings, deliverance of every kind of unclean. You know, every spirit of the enemy is an unclean spirit. Every cancer is an unclean spirit. Every spirit of depression is an unclean spirit. Every, they're all demon, demonic of depression. That's what Jesus called them. Oppressors of the, of the enemy coming against you. Amen. But God has placed you, amen, in his bride. And you are not a defenseless group of people. You are not a sheep without a shepherd. Amen. But you are a people that he is the shepherd over. And he's here today to heal your sick, to deliver you, to set you free. Amen. To give you a joy in your heart like you've never known. The victories of God to be yours. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. Lord, we don't say these things to be against something. We're preaching these things because we're for something. We're for you, Lord. We're for your truth. We're for your word. We're for you. We don't want to be any, even here in Louisiana, lukewarm, cold, formal, powerless, Weak group of people. Satan would like to turn us into that. A weak and a powerless group of people. Whose only weapon is argument. Lord, our weapon is an argument. Our weapon is the sword of the Lord. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who is standing for Zion. For spiritual Zion, rebuke you. You've come against this bride. You're trying to take a stand in this day against her. But we resist you in the name of the Lord. And we call for all the armies of heaven. Amen. To come and stand with this people that's on the earth who's standing for their rights. Who's calling on heaven right now. Who is saying, Lord, restore your people. Back to that same apostolic power where they know you in the power of your resurrection. 
Father, we're, we're glad to be accounted worthy to be with you today. Today, we take our stand with you. Today, we give our lives to you. And we surrender to all you want us to be. Giving you all that we are. In Jesus' name, amen. And praises fill my soul. 